Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to you to Calvary Church. Uh, It is great to have you, and we are in the middle of the Easter season. Uh, However, our gospel reading today takes us back to the Last Supper, Uh, back to uh, Maundy Thursday, the upper room, and there our Lord uh, delivers some very unsettling words to his disciples. He says, I'm with you a little longer, and where I am going, you cannot come. Soon a stone would be rolled in front of his tomb, and all the hopes and expectations um, of the disciples would be transformed literally into fear and doubt in that moment. Yet we all know that uh, that is not the final word, don't we? The disciples did see Jesus again, risen from the dead, proving everything that Jesus had said about himself, everything he said was true, and that by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus is actually glorified. Now, when Jesus, though, speaks about his glorification, oftentimes we tend to turn it into something that it that it really isn't. You know, we tend to think of big, bright, shiny things. And, you know, maybe the, the, the old Pentecostals, you know, shout glory. And uh, we kind of think about it like that. But when Jesus speaks about glorification, it is important to note here that it is not necessarily something that is seen, especially in this age, in our age. God's glory is proclaimed God's glory must be heard, and God's glory must be believed. I've been thinking about God's glory a lot in this reading in the book of Revelation, a lot actually this week, as um, um, I did a funeral on Friday, and then um, on uh, Saturday I learned that a good friend of mine, who is a young man and has been battling cancer, has been told that um, the battle is over. And, uh, you know, and this is just a word to all the men. Next time you go on your, for your checkup, if you're a young guy and they say, oh, you don't need that, you definitely do. And so, um, and, uh, but I've been thinking about that. And where does God's glory uh, meet us in the here and the now? What is this? Because on a profound level, the disciples in that upper room were terrified because they were caught in between the Good Friday and the Easter resurrection, and we are caught in between in these last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, but we've been, like, we're caught in these last days between the ascension and Jesus' triumphant return. And so sometimes, well, all the time, we don't see it. We need to hear it. Beneath the cross of Jesus, between the already and the not yet can be a difficult time. When glory means, and then we begin to discover that glory actually means something counterintuitive. It actually means that uh, sometimes, all the time, the glory of God takes the shape of a cross in this age. It can take the shape of suffering. And this is my first point. In this age, glory takes the shape of the suffering of the cross. And what this means is, is that God's glory can acutely, though, speak to you right where you're at, as you actually are, as opposed to the way you think you need to be. With God's glory, we can accept the fact that there is laughter and joy, but it comes also and can give way to real sorrow and weeping in this age. There is joy, but it comes with pain. 
Because where there is no seeing, weeping is inevitable. And it is actually weeping is appropriate as the old order of things passes away and the inbreaking of the new creation, which Jesus' resurrection, as St. Paul says, is the first fruits, begins to emerge. And as the head, we being his body, passed through this old order of things, through death into life everlasting. And so in this age, we don't see it. It needs to be heard and it needs to be believed. And so we rejoice in our salvation, but yet at the same time, we weep over our sin and actually what it's done to the world. As we break bread with family and friends, we weep over broken families and friends. We weep over the loss of loved ones. And this becomes especially powerful when you go to the grave and you go to the grave of a friend and you stand there and there's no glory to be seen. It is in those moments beneath the cross of Jesus where you cannot see that believing actually becomes so important. Believing the gift, the faith actually becomes a real gift because it is belief, it is faith which enables us actually to look beyond the already, look beyond the weeping and the sorrow and receive the not yet receive the promises of the resurrection that come with Easter that are embodied in St. John's vision of triumph in the book of Revelation that we read from this morning. All Christian traditions, I've also thinking about this as talking about funerals and things like this, all of the Christian traditions have their gifts and charisms that they give to the body of Christ. And really, I think the gift that the Episcopalian Church gives to uh, the Christian body, the gift that we bring to the table is that we bury people really, really well. When you die, you definitely want to be an Episcopalian. I have been to like tons of like different traditional like liturgies, you know, Presbyterian, Catholic, non-denom, don't want to be a non-denom when you die. Um, but uh, you, uh, you definitely want to be an Episcopalian. I mean, the Episcopal liturgy, take a look at it in the prayer book. I mean, it just cuts right through all the not yet and brings you to the place of the already. It clearly articulates the power of the already and the gift that Jesus' resurrection is for us here in the not yet. And at 90% of all Episcopalian liturgies, this reading from the book of Revelation is read. And it's read at, the, at our service because we hear about the glory of God and how it is revealed, the already in the midst of the not yet. St. John, at this point in his ministry, has been exiled to the island of Patmos. And although he had been blessed to experience the already, he saw firsthand with the resurrection. This is why he's always writing in his gospel this testimony. You know what I mean? This is written so that you might believe. Um, uh, he writes in his epistles, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched, we proclaim to you. But here, he's, he's experienced the already, but here in the book of Revelation, he is neck deep in the not yet. The churches he had started were under siege. They were riddled with false teachers at this moment. The government was corrupt. 
This is the first century, not today. And uh, the members of his own flock were being tortured and martyred. And it is into this situation that John is given a comforting revelation of a new creation. He's given a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. The old creation, the one that he was in, the one that we are in, was worn out and it died. The sea, which in the ancient world was a symbol of death and the grave and the unknown, is no more. And what John saw was a city unlike any city that he'd ever seen. A holy city. A new Jerusalem. The key word there for our dispensationalist friends is a new Jerusalem. Coming down from heaven. Coming down from above. This is in line with what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street coming to you. Your salvation comes from above by water and the Spirit All of this stuff is coming from above. And this is my second point. In the midst of our weeping, in the midst of our real sorrow as we live in this present age, just like John, you and I are given a promise. And that promise is the dwelling place with God is now with man. In the flesh of Jesus, God and man are reconciled and a new creation that Christ brings. And in that city which is his bride, you and I, the dwelling place of God is with man. And what this means is that there is coming a time when there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning and there will be no more grief. Those are part of the past and they will be done with when the former things have passed away and the lamb who was slain but lives makes all things new. Jesus later on in this supper would say to his disciples, you will have sorrow now. And indeed they would sorrow deeply. And in a strange way he says these words to you and I as well. You will sorrow, you will have sorrow now. The Christian life is not the absence of suffering. Actually, sometimes it's be brought right into the thick of it. Luther, as he was baptizing a baby once, he said, we do this child no favors. You will have sorrow now. But when it comes to the gospel, here's the thing with sorrow. When it comes to the gospel, your sorrow is woven into a greater and more beautiful tapestry than you could possibly imagine. This is the profound truth that comes out of that Pixar movie, Inside Out. All of the things, the sadness, the happiness, we need it all. And it's woven together into something far more beautiful than you could imagine. I mean, this is the powerful thing. God does not annihilate his creation into non-existence. He's not like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. History, the world's history, human's history, your history, for all its sorrows and wrongs and brokenness and sin, it's not erased, but it's redeemed. This is why Jesus meets Peter before he reinstitutes him right in front of a coal fire. 
to remind him, and he asks him three times, do you love me? This is the, 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 the redemption going on here. See, Jesus, the way he works is he takes your life and he brings it through death and then he raises it up. This is the point from garden to the city. It's not that cities are cool and suburbs are bad, but it's garden to the city from death to resurrection. That's how Jesus makes all things new. He takes all things actually into his mortal flesh and he dies and he rises. He takes this old creation that is passing away and he lets it die and then raises it up. He takes all the good, all the bad, all the ugly of human history, including your own history, and washing it in his blood He redeems it with his death and raises it up for eternal good in the resurrection that is to come. And this is my third point. And this is why um, God's glory, while it's experienced as suffering now and meets you right where you're at, is good news. What this means is that nothing in your life is actually ever lost. Everything, though, in your life is held and redeemed for you in a complete and whole way in Jesus Christ. Just as a mother doesn't forget her labor pains, instead they are woven into the tapestry of her child's life. All of our brokenness is woven and redeemed into a lovely tapestry. And our present suffering, as St. Paul says, does not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. In light of Christ and his death. And this is the power of Easter. In light of Christ and his death and resurrection, it will all make sense. It will all fit together. And the vision that you and I will see at the end of the age will be really glorious. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.